Welcome to Constructed Futures with Hugh Seaton. I'm here today with Sala Eckhart, Director of Transformation Services at Microsoft. Sala, let's talk a little bit about what you do. Yes, thank you, Hugh. So uh, I work for the internal real estate and security organization at Microsoft, and um, I'm a director in our center of innovation, taking forward a new framework that I call the digital building lifecycle. And with that, as we are going through our own internal digital transformation, I can also support the partners and vendors that work with us or in our projects. Uh, And that way, the benefits that we can discover as a real estate owner can be also seeded into the the AEC industry. That's great. And actually, I know you primarily, well, at least first from the AEC hackathon. So it's really interesting that your your role at... Microsoft is really, at least as we understood it, um, kind of bringing data to the the whole real estate and construction um, process. Is that an accurate description? Uh, That is a good summary of it. Um, The digital building lifecycle is very data-centric approach into the the overall lifecycle of our built environment and discovering the ways that how might we actually create the, the built environment digitally before we actually implement and, and build anything physical. So um, I like your definition, how you did it. How have you guys started looking at that? So, so there's, there's silos that are using data one way or the other, but how do you, how do you view it? Um, I've been looking very cl- closely into uh, what kind of new business models or delivery models uh, the, the academia and industry are developing in different regions in the world and mm-hmm. trying to cross-pollinate that what might work in certain region, how might we actually then scale it up and and, and bring it into other regions and, and that way discover some so-called universal approach to things. And um, with the digital building lifecycle, it could be very well supported with the total value delivery model and and things that come from the, the lean construction world. But when thinking about the industry traditionally, um, it has uh, remained as the AEC industry, leaving out the O. So uh, it's, a, it's a big change management and transformation to start incorporating real estate with the AEC. And, and that's where the very, di- very different points of view start to uh, merge together and, and have the discussions together that what are we actually trying to uh, implement and deliver into our built environment. And who do you see? Obviously, you're working for a technology company that owns a, a lot of real estate and, and with data centers, that's obviously increasing. Who do you see is driving some of that change? Is it primarily the tech industry or is it broader than that? Uh, it's broader than that. Uh, when thinking about the digital transformation of everything, um, it, it's really the, the drivers need to come from the industry side, from the real estate owner side. Uh, I'm hoping that um, more and more public sector will get into uh, the game because uh, all the rules and regulations, the processes, everything is interconnected and and trying to resolve everything uh, alone uh, will only lead into uh, developing something that then gets shelved. But uh, if we can start building more collaboration and collaborative approach to delivering projects and planning the projects, sharing the data that can be shared and what can be identified as common knowledge. 
um, it's a it's an effort that kind of needs to start from everywhere. And uh, I usually talk about um, checking for answers by looking into the mirror and and asking yeah. the question that where should I start? It the answer usually um, is found in the mirror. Yeah. But do you find that it, I mean, it helps to be the person writing the, the checks, doesn't it? So uh, it, yes, definitely it, it helps. And uh, but then uh, it's it's a it's a joint effort that everyone needs to be on the same page on what what are we doing, uh, and that way start breaking down the silos or avoiding building them and building the bubbles. So overall, um, it's an exciting times that we are now. Um, kind of living and working in that uh, the digital transformation really supports re-engineering a lot of the processes and, and empowering people who are the decision makers. And that way, um, it's it depends a lot on the project teams and the individuals that are working on them. Because if there is anyone who uh, wants to stay in the old ways of working, then it becomes a roadblock for everyone and, and nobody can really move. Um, so... There's no simple answer, but uh, I hope that yeah. the, this helps. Yeah, I mean, there never is, but that's okay. I mean, it's it's, it's the point of transformation, right? Is it, it it comes and fits and starts, and it's never as fast as you want. But mm-hmm. was it? I think it was actually Bill Gates who said that that everyone underestimates the next five years and overestimates the next ten years, or the other mm-hmm. way around. Overestimates. Oh, anyway, you get what I mean. Is it, we, we think things are going to happen faster, but then in ten years we look back and are like, oh my god, I can't believe all that change. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you one of the things that you do is um, you know look at different different markets in different countries. Can you talk a little bit about countries where you've seen this process either either faster or just things that you've learned from other other markets? Yeah, uh, this is a very good question, and um, like um, the audience can already hear that I have a little bit of accent when I speak. So when looking into different regions, and oftentimes I have to explain to people that. A real estate business is global, but the construction industry is always local. And that's where the flavors or differences come, that different regions have different uh, reasons for digital transformation, and they have different history in the construction industry. And when looking into um, like the Nordic countries, uh, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Iceland, and uh, the Baltic countries combined, um, they are very small countries, but they are they've taken the digital transformation very seriously for the past decades, and not only 20 years, but but beyond that. Uh, and they are pretty much spearheading what is happening in digital construction at the moment. Uh, then we have regions like uh, Australia, which is a uh, very remote. So when when they are thinking about their industry, it's it's probably very expensive to import goods for for that region. So they've been having to digitally transform and take digital leaps to uh, deal with the resources that they have. And and they are spearheading a lot of development in the APAC region. Then thinking about uh, Singapore, China, India in, in APAC, uh, the sheer uh, volume of urbanization in those regions is uh, pushing the industry forward. And then when thinking about the Americas, um, this is a huge market. But at the same time, when thinking about the like, United States as, as a market itself, uh, it has sub-markets that are by different states. 
so it's not a very homogeneous market itself, even though we are working in the same country. So there are, again, mm -hmm. then the regional flavors of the industry and, and how the local industry is actually going forward. What do you think drives, um, the, the, you know, the, the kind of the pace of, I mean, you've mentioned some, some, some things that might drive it around the world. One of the things that is interesting is, at least to me, is the role of, of, of organizations and standards. One of them, the first one being government. I mean, I think if you were to look at one of the differences between the Nordics, certainly, and, and the U.S., is the role of government. How, how do you think that's had an impact? Um, it has definitely had an impact, and in in the Nordic countries, the government has been supporting digital transformation for for years by uh, publicly funding programs that enable research institutes and the industry to collaborate together for transformation, and, and that way the resources are kind of shared for the best benefit of outcomes, not only the outputs but outcomes, um, and then. Um, the international or global um, organizations such as uh, Building Smart or Digital Twin Consortium that was uh, established this June, they are definitely uh, bringing input into how fast the industry is transforming. And they are organizations that basically welcome anyone who wants to be part of the transformation and driving it forward, collaborating together and, and working together to deliver the change. One of the things that, that I ask because we've I've had I've been lucky enough to have some conversations with folks in Finland and what what I think we miss sometimes in the U.S. is that just because the government led some of the funding doesn't mean it wasn't a kind of familiar way of doing things. There's a, a guy who's also part of the AEC Hackathon group, uh, Timu Leitenen. I'm sure, I'm getting his name wrong, but he led a a, um, a process in in Finland where there was government money. But it was very much as a competitive experience where, where the money was put up, but you had to, A, you had to compete for it, and B, you had to succeed to get more of it, uh, which is, you know, it's very familiar to Americans in that sort of uh, VC-led model. Do you find that uh, that sort of thing, and I'm sorry if this isn't something you spent a lot of time on, but is this something you've seen elsewhere as well, this, this idea of the government gets involved, but they don't necessarily determine what gets done. They just provide money and guidance. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's pretty unique situation that Finland has because it's a very small population, so it's a uh, limited resources. But what I see in other regions is uh, the hackathons and and events where a framework for digitalization or development is defined, and then different teams are welcome to uh, create their solutions. And that way they can kind of implement at least the, the prototypes of different solutions very quickly and bring them for a public discussion, basically, amongst their competitors. And that way everyone is kind of pushing each other forward and, and they don't necessarily replicate what others have already done, but they, are, they can optioneer what might be the feasible solutions for the common problem. That makes sense. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit back to this digital um, digital life cycle, bu digital building life cycle. I'll get it right. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about, again, how, how you see data going from one end of that life cycle to another. Um, do you find that owners are getting a little bit more demanding or at least open to, to building data than maybe they were? Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it probably depends on the owner's 
investment strategy in their portfolio and the design strategies? And are they type of owners that uh, are serial builders and developers? Or are they the kind that they in, they kind of treat their real estate portfolio as if it was stock, that they buy and sell it, but they don't want to hold on to it for, for years? But um, when thinking about uh, how much dark data there is already about the, the build environment and how much there is open data sets available in smart cities, um, overall, there's a lot of more opportunity for real estate owners and infrastructure owners to kind of step into the game and start having the discussions with the AEC partners that what might we actually do with the data that has been collected and what might we do if we were able to share it and and, and refine it into information that then can deliver more insights into uh, the decision-making that we do. And, and that way kind of maybe raise the bar of ambition of what are we actually developing uh, for our built environment and, and what kind of sustainability goals we might have or, or smart environment goals. And, and that way bring the questions for a higher level and more open discussion rather than kind of being very introverted on what data are we collecting and what might we do with the data that we've collected for ourselves. So Asala, let's talk a little bit more about how you've seen data work with uh, with commercial real estate. What are some good What are some good places that a commercial developer might go look to learn more about this? Uh, well, the the data sets that some uh, smart cities have now started to open up for public. Um, there are good examples from the EMEA, so Europe, Middle East, Africa region, and the, the Nordic countries, that that's where the public sector has started to open up more data for the benefit of real estate developers and the public-private partnership. Um, in the United States market and somewhere else, I haven't seen as much uh, development in, in that scope. Uh, there's more private data or private data ownership maybe in these regions. Uh, but definitely, I think that there is a lot of data that um, could be more maybe marketed or somehow brought to uh, the public attention that that there is already something available so people don't have to uh, start from scratch. And when thinking about the platforms like GIS, um, they, they are an excellent source to uh, already start planning projects and, and planning the land use. So there are already great technologies available, um, but there's possibly more room for technology integration so that it's more made more accessible for the decision makers and the end users. Yeah, that's always a big thing with data, right, is, is the way you create it has a huge impact on how useful it's ever going to be apart from the, the, the first use. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I, so in my local area here in, in, uh, the Connecticut, we, we looked to try to make a number of events that were about, uh, open data and getting open data is just brutal. It is really tough. Um, because it's, it's not just about privacy. It's about the expense of somebody converting old data because again, it's been produced in a way that isn't really made for later use and consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, in contrast, you know, New York has done a reasonably good job of opening up a lot of data. What are some good co- cities that you found that have 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 some of this data available? Um, good cities that have uh, open data available: um, Tampere city in Finland, Helsinki, Turku, Oulu. Um, 
those are good examples because uh, the, the, the Finnish government and Finnish cities, they've been working on uh, creating the open data sets for, for years already. So they are pretty mature in what, what kind of program they already have running. And um, I'm sure that there are already some smart city um, examples here in the United States that are worth checking out. And I think a, a few years ago when I was uh, deciding which city I will be moving into as an immigrant, I was looking into uh, the smart cities list in the United States. And at that time, there were maybe 10 that were listed. So it was the, the big uh, city hubs like New York and San Francisco, etc., that we're already uh, developing those sets. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons why I think it's Cleveland or Columbus won a really big uh, national award because of, of what they've been doing and what they were looking to do. Yeah. Um, and I think it was actually the national transfer. Uh, I'm not actually remembering who it was, but it was all about smart cities development. And I was like, really, Cleveland? Okay. Um but as you think about this, back, coming back to the use of data and the digital building lifecycle, can you talk a little bit about how you see that that as a, as a full process, not just in, in pieces, but kind of from the beginning through to the end and, and how where that adds value along the way? What's yeah. the vision? Um, so when I developed the digital building lifecycle, um, I wanted to put more accountability and responsibility on the real estate and infrastructure owners because uh, they are the beginning of the digital building lifecycle. They are the ones that decide that uh, something needs to be developed uh, or improved, and they are the ones that are funding the project. And so uh, the beginning is that we need to have very careful planning of the project with very much clarity on what is the investment strategy, what is the, the design strategy, because overall when thinking about the built environment, we need to have a balance or harmonization of what is the, the total performance of our environment when thinking about the, the physical, uh, digital, and social performance, and mm -hmm. what is the total cost of ownership uh, or the total cost, because uh, not everyone is an owner but might be leasing something and, and temporarily holding on to something. So there is always that cost associated into uh, the great performance of our in environment. And when we have that clarity, then um, it's fairly easy for the architects and engineers to start designing and engineering the, the performance of the environment and, and the uh, geom geometry of our environment and run the, the simulations and analysis as they are going and, and checking it against um, the investment strategy and that way have that total value delivery and total value design thinking on its way. And when um, they start to um, think about how the, the built environment is actually then built and implemented, um, it might be too late in the game to <laughs> kind of start to have the discussions with the general contractors and the manufacturers. So overall, with the digital building lifecycle, the idea is that the entire project team is formulated as early uh, as possible. Uh, so overall, there needs to be some kind of a understanding of how much of the built environment is actually um, manufactured or fabricated in factory conditions rather than on-site. And that way, the designers and engineers are actually designing and engineering the build and not for a design intent. And that way, they can already collaborate more closely with the general contractors and 
and manufacturers to understand how things are actually built and, and that way deliver the digital version of the physical artifact before anything is built. And then in that sense, um, the built environment, the physical artifact is the twin and not the other way around. That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> that what you build is the twin, not 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 something you built afterwards. You know, what, I had a conversation with someone the other day talking about, um, you know, the reality of, of value engineering is you're looking for ways to make things cheaper. And, and you know, what would give is things that, that don't show up on your criteria list. So what I'm hearing you, part of what I'm hearing you say is if you're, if the owner is specifying early that a criterion is, is a, you're producing good data, but also that you're, you know, you're, you're producing less CO2 or you're more efficiently using electricity or whatever it might be, then it shows up in value engineering as opposed to being ignored when they say, let's get this, you know, chiller instead of that chiller or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, is this something you've seen people think about a little bit is, is that if you don't specify it early, the process is going to ignore it? Yeah, that, that's definitely the, the approach that I've been pushing that we need to define what is the expected performance, that what kind of uh, end user experience do we want to create for people? Because then it's easier to start choosing the different components of a system and, and not the other way around that you choose the products and then see what they might actually deliver as the technical performance. So overall, if if we have clarity on um, how much do we want to spend in annual operations, for example, then it's easier to start to uh, value engineer that which suppliers or manufacturers are delivering the technical performance that we expect and which ones are possibly creating added value. And, and that way, if there are innovations in the product development or in um, like a process development or anything that is improving the outcomes, then hopefully that will create more market for for delivering those into our built environment rather than the great innovations being seen as, oh, it's a added cost and not an added value. Um, so the way that you described it is exactly what I've, I've been pushing for, that let's not only focus on the cost of, of things and the capital planning, but really think about the, the total performance and the total cost. Well, and, and what constitutes total cost, you're right, is, is you know, right now, some, some regions of the world have a carbon cost. America currently doesn't really. Um, there are places that do, but generally we don't. But it's, it's I think, irresponsible to think that as a, as a financial planner, forgetting about the, the, the kind of climate side of it, it's, it's irresponsible to not expect in a 40 to 50 year building that the cost of carbon isn't going to matter. Because it it apps in its it hasn't happened yet, but it we you know it, it we know that it will. Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of of um, when when everybody realized that CFCs were creating holes in the ozone layer. Mm -hmm. In a very short number of years, we were able to pull that that particular chemical out and re-engineer. It was they were consumer devices that well not only, but I remember it as as you know refrigerators became different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you change the marketing, you change the incentives and you let capitalism go do its thing and, and you'll come up with solutions. Yeah, uh, that's an excellent, excellent um, example that you brought up because th that's um, one of the reasons why the digital building lifecycle is so important that we actually accumulate all the relevant data about what materials 
did we use? What kind of systems did we use? What products and suppliers did we use? And that way, if there is eventually a discovery that something is not um, uh, like the best choice for our built environment or the natural environment or our people, then it's easy to see and, and check that where are all these products that might have a component that shouldn't exist in our environment anymore and and then plan the retrofits and, and renovations to remove what is harmful and bring in something that is less harmful for or non-harmful to begin with and that way uh, improve what what exists and overall we have all the records of where the harmful material might exist. Well, that's, you know, it's funny you use the word harmful material. It makes me immediately think of the decades-long disaster of removing asbestos mm-hmm. and the amount of money that that wound up getting lost to, you know, and people getting hurt mm-hmm. because they didn't really know. Yeah. I mean, the stuff was built in the 20s and 30s and whenever, and no one had an idea of what was there because, you know, it was in some piece of paper in a drawer that, you know, nobody looked at anymore. Yeah. So it's an interesting point is if we discover that things that we've built or ways we've built them um, need to be changed for whatever reason, um, yeah. you know, it, the, to the degree we have something digital, we can go do something about it. Yes. And exactly the, the point that you brought up about the 2D drawings, the drawings, uh, they illustrate what was the design intent or how things might have been built, but they lack all the data about what they what was that infrastructure built off or the data needs to be collected from some other documentation. Uh, so when people are thinking about why should they invest in the use of building information models, you're already making the right point that if there is anything like the asbestos in our environment, you can find that in the building information models, but you will not find that necessarily in your drawings. And some of the amazing technologies that are, are and products that have come out in the last couple of years. I'm thinking of open space and some others that will capture as it's being built and, and create a, an as-built that you can walk through, which is just really cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the tip, tip of the iceberg uh, in terms of what can be done. Exactly. Um, so as you think about, um, it feels like, like the, 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 the steps from design through to construction um, are, have been integrated to some degree. Uh, and are, obviously, there's a lot of pressure to continue to do that more and more in, in terms of, you know, passing data back and forth. There are legal reasons in the U.S. why one group might not want to give as much information as they could to another. And I think that's a that's a longer discussion. <laughs> but how about the interface between owners and the kind of the A, the A, E, E and the C? H- have you found that 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 we're making some progress in that interface? You know what I'm saying? Like how the data gets from. Uh, well, first of all, someone has to tell an owner that you need to specify this data because I know that you're thinking about how much you're going to earn per square foot and so on and so forth. But you really should be thinking about these other points of data that will matter when you're managing the facility. So even knowing what to specify is probably not, you know, not everybody knows to do that. Mm-hmm. But the other side is that the handoff often is a huge point. So from the, 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 the GC mm-hmm. to the owner at the end of the project, that's, I mean, that's famously one of those places where tons of data gets lost again. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you finding there's kind of pressure to make that handoff, you know, better? Yeah. Um, how I've started to address that with the digital building lifecycle is that that data should be accumulated through the, the project so that there is no 
kind of hurrying up at the end for collecting all the data that is already fragmented um, throughout the process because there are so many different stakeholders and, and actors in the projects that it's practically impossible to make sure that everything is documented correctly because it's it's humans, people working on the project. Um, so if we adapted to uh, the best um like a common data environments, if I use the, the traditional term, um, mm-hmm. then we can ensure that there is a, a backlog and a structuring of the data to begin with. And there is that version control that we don't have to uh, uh, manually manage what has been delivered, but it's automatically updated to the latest and the greatest. And then when thinking about what data doesn't a real estate owner actually need compared to a general contractor or the designer, it's a completely different data set. But then there's already um, a Kobe uh, that has been developed by Bill East and his team um, that really clearly define um, the data set that the real estate owner might need. Uh, and it's a very well-defined and refined standard. Um, and nothing is stopping anyone from choosing what is relevant for their own operations. But if, if people started to... Um, adapt to a common data environments as the collaboration tool and into uh, the, the global or international and national standards, then we would have the same language that we, we speak of. And, and that's uh, like uh, John Turner says that data is the common language in technology. Uh, and I, I really like how he's defined it. Uh, and that brings everyone to the same same page. And that way we can right. ensure that that the, the traditional fragmentation uh, to do the, the traditional way of documentation uh, is resolved. That's interesting. It, so as, as you as you think about continuing to push this and make make change in the industry, what's let's end with a good a good place or a set of good places that owners and technologists and participants in the broader AECO industry might go learn more about this. What, what's a good place for them to start? Uh, I would probably recommend that um, start with the Digital Twin Consortium website and uh, the Building Smart website and join those organizations and, and start the collaboration. There's a lot of great solutions already out there in the industry, but they, they might be in pockets that need to be found mm-hmm. where there's uh, global uh, organizations. That's great. So the Digital Twins Consortium is a good what and then uh, I think also the construction users roundtable has has at least made some efforts in this in this area as well definitely um, awesome well Salo, this has been a fantastic conversation I'm really excited to learn more about the the, uh, the digital uh, the digital life building life cycle I will remember it now uh, thank you so much for your time thank you so much you this was a, a pleasure thank you <laughs>